One of, the, one of the difficult things in life, one of the most difficult things in life is whenever your family is going through turmoil, struggles, situations. I can't tell you how many times I have sat in my office and I've talked to, um, to families that wish that they could just reach in and flip the switch and, and change everything that's going on in the situation. It's going bad all the way and they look around and they can't see God anywhere in the moment. And they just wish that they had a sign. They wish that they could see what was going on in the spirit world where, where God could just reach down and, and change the situation, but they don't see it at all. And, and that's kind of where we look at today in, in today's story. Today's message is all about Esther. Esther is a book in the Bible. It's in the Old Testament. And as we read the story of Esther, we find out something pretty incredible. Sometimes it's not what's in the story, but it's what's not in the story. You see, the events of Esther are so incredible that it's almost not likely to have happened, except for the fact that, that extra, uh, uh, extra sources in history uh, verify that it's all true. And so when we read the passages of Esther, we know that everything that it says happened actually happened, but the problem is not, like I said, what's in the passage, it's, it's what's not there. You see, Esther is the only book in the Bible that doesn't say anything about God. Somebody's been looking at my notes. <laughs> and so I kind of wonder sometimes if you've ever been in a situation or a circumstance where, where you've been praying and you've been calling out to God and your life is just messed up, it feels like everything is falling apart around you and you look around and God's not speaking. You can't hear him, you can't see him, you can't feel him. It's like whenever you pray, your prayers go up to the ceiling, they hit and they bounce off the ceiling, come back at you. Feels like you're talking to yourself. I'm gonna be honest with you, that's a, that's a pretty normal feeling. Matter of fact, sometimes the exception is to hear a loud, resounding voice speak to you on the inside. So sometimes it's the exception to feel the presence of God just overwhelm you and have that kind of peace. Many times in our lives, we don't get that. Many times in our lives, we, we're actually going through situations and circumstances where we feel lost. We feel scared. We, we feel angry inside. We, we, we feel, well, we feel like God's really not mentioned. But the great news is in the book of Esther is that even though God is not mentioned, his fingerprints are all through the situation. And I want you to know today that whenever you look at your situation, you take a good hard look, you can see God's hands in your life, moving and changing the circumstance and situation so that it's in your favor. I want you to know something else too, that if you don't see the win, if you don't see the, the victory, if you don't see the light at the end of the tunnel, keep on moving, keep on going, keep on reading, because when we find ourselves at the very end of this book, we realize that everything 
that Satan meant for harm, everything that, meant, that was meant to undo the Israelites and their family, everything that was meant to, to have the, 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 evil, the evil scheme work, unraveled, came undone. I, I didn't mean to get to the end of my message. Sorry if you didn't know what was going to happen. I, I blew it all. You see, I want you to ask yourself, where is God in my story right now? In order to go through this, uh, this book, I actually have to give you a, a brief overview of an entire book. So you're going to ha have to hang with me. And if you're really curious as to what all happens, I want to encourage you to go home and, and read it and, and get into God's word. It'll take you about 30, 45 minutes to read it. Um, actually, it'll probably take you about... 15, 20 minutes to read it. I read very slowly, so it takes me a little while longer, but I'll tell you what, it's worth the read because as I re read it, the opening part is that uh, King Xerxes of Persia uh, 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 celebrated with a feast over uh, 187 days. Now, uh, there's, there's two feasts there, and I, I want to have a feast like that. Uh, I can't imagine having a feast for 187 days, but when you're the king of Persia, you do what you want. And, um, matter of fact, I, I take a barbecue that lasted for about six hours. That's, that's the, my kind of speed on a barbecue. But at the very last day... The king wanted to show off his wife, and he's kind of drunk. He's been drinking quite a bit. And so he called for his wife, Queen Vashti, and Vashti, uh, Vashti decides that she's not going to come. She's not going to be on a public display for him. And so that puts them at odds. And so uh, uh, since Vashti didn't come, the king felt insulted, and he wrote her off. And, he, and that opened the opportunity to have another queen. And in a real strange uh, uh, circumstances, he decided that he was going to have a beauty contest to be the next queen of Persia. And so he opens it all up. And uh, long story short, Queen Esther, the, or Esther, becomes the queen. And she's a Jew, but nobody realizes that she's a Jew. She just gained favor with the queen. And the king was just crazy about her. And they really started off, everything was very happy between them. Mordecai was... Um, her uncle or cousin once removed, kind of weird in scripture. We don't exactly know what the relationship was other than it was absolutely family. But uh, Mordecai uh, was close to Esther and raised her kind of like his own child. And, and, uh, and Mordecai happens to overhear a plot to, to kill uh, the king. And he, and he turns that into the king and helps the king... Uh, 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 defeat and uh, defeat the plot and the king survives but the king actually never goes in and honors Mordecai he just kind of puts it on the back burner uh, but then there's this other character this Haman character Haman was uh, was an agite now one of the one of the interesting things is that this is this is a a, a distant uh, ancient uh, Philistine or uh, Canaanite, excuse me. And the, all through history, we find out that these people are always clashing with the Jews. And that's exactly what Haman was doing. He was continuing on that long tradition of, of, of clashing with the Jews and hating the Jews. But Haman, uh, but Haman found himself not only in the royal court, but the leader of the royal court. 
in a key position and he led the nobles. And matter of fact, he was the second most powerful person next to the king. And he, he got the king to pass this law that caused all the royals or all the nobles to bow down whenever he passed by. That's how powerful he was. But something, uh, something was uh, 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 still irritating. It was still messed up. How many of you know that you can go all your life and you can have all the blessings, but you're always going to find the, the negative thing, the, the flying ointment, so to speak? And, and that was Haman. And he, he saw that Mordecai refused to bow down. And he, he, it wasn't good enough for him to, to get even or, or try to control Mordecai. He wanted to annihilate all the Jews. And so he got with the king and he tried to pass this law that would cause, cause on a, a, a year later for, for a, a rule that anybody that had a problem with the Jews could take them out. And the goal a year later would be that all the Jews were annihilated including Mordecai. Well, the problem with this, obviously, is that it's a problem. I mean, there's a lot of Jews throughout Persia. And so the Jews felt so threatened that the day that that law passed, uh, there was just incredible mourning in the streets. You can imagine the mourning that was going on to find out that it was going to be legal one year from that day, on that day to hunt you down and kill you and for anybody that killed you to take your property. This is the most crazy thing. But the king was kind of like that. He just allowed things in his, in his uh, kingdom to happen like that. And so... When, uh, when Mordecai continued to refuse to bow down, Haman erected this pole and he was going to go straight to the king and ask uh, that he could impale Mordecai on this pole. And so that night, whenever he devised this plot and this, this scheme, uh, that night the king couldn't sleep. And so he called for a record to be brought into him so that he could read the record of the kingdom. And, you know, sometimes that kind of helps you fall asleep when you're reading something boring. But that night in particular, uh, the king was read about Mordecai and reminded him that he hadn't honored Mordecai. And so whenever the king got up the next day, Haman came in ready to present this, uh, this uh, argument to the king that he should be able to kill Mordecai. But the king, right before Haman asked, uh, said, hey, what would you do to honor somebody that uh, was really great? And Mordecai, uh, Haman, thinking that he was talking about himself, said, hey, you, you'd definitely dress that guy in your robes and take him around the city in a, in a night on your horse and, and call out, this is what the king does to people that he wants to honor. And the king liked the idea so much that he said, Haman, I want you to take Mordecai out and do that ex exact same thing. And so Haman's leading his enemy through the streets, calling out, look at this guy, this guy's awesome. Not only that, but Mordecai was lifted up into a place of prominence. And you can imagine what this is doing inside of Mordecai. He's just so, I mean, inside of Haman, he's just so upset. He's, he's just seething inside. I, I, don't, I know none of you have ever been like that, but... Mordecai realizes what's going to happen and goes to Esther and says, Esther, we got to do something about this. There, there's a plot to kill all the Jews. Everything is going wrong. You're the only person in a position to, to do anything for your people. In that moment, Mordecai said something that many of us know by heart. She, he said, Esther, it may be for such a time as this that you were in position 
for such a time as this. And God knows something about places and he knows something about times and he knows something about details. She had the attitude where she said, Mordecai, I want you to gather all your people up and I want you to go pray and fast. I'm gonna gather my servants up and pray and fast for three days. And then I'm gonna go present myself to the king. It's illegal to present myself to the king in his inner court, but, but I'm gonna risk it because I know it's important, okay? So her attitude was simply this. If I die, I must die but I'm gonna try my best. She goes and he present, she presents herself to the king in his courtroom, in her courtroom. If the king doesn't extend his golden scepter to her so that she can touch it, it's an automatic execution. But the king had favor on Queen Esther. Esther touches the, the, the scepter and, and, uh, and, and she says, I want you and I want you and, uh, and Haman to come over and have dinner with me tonight. So the king gladly accepts and he's excited. He hadn't seen his bride in 30 days. It was, must've been a long fishing trip. I have no idea, that's not scripture. That's just, that's kind of Oklahoma scripture, okay? Anyway, so that night, King uh, Xerxes and Haman come and they spend, they spend time with Esther and, and the king is very curious. Well, what did you wanna do? What, what, what's going on? What, what did you need? And she says, well, let me tell you exactly what I need. I need I need you to come back tomorrow night for another meal. So the king said, okay, no problem. Now Haman is thinking that it's incredible honor to be brought back into the royal court and, and eat a meal prepared by the queen. So Haman's glad to accept and the king is just so in love with his queen. And so they come in and, and they do just that again. Now the king at this time is so curious as to what she wants. He finally said, what is exactly that I can do for you? And Esther stands up and, he po and she points at Haman and says, that guy right there, that evil guy has a plan to kill all of my family. The king was so stunned and surprised and amazed that he turned around and said, who would do such a thing? That's, you're, you're messing with my wife now. And she points at Haman and says, I'm a Jew and he wants to kill all the Jews and you've already passed the law. The king is so incredibly upset. And you can imagine Haman, the, the Bible actually says that Haman turned pale with fright. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's putting it mildly. He stands up and accidentally, and I, I couldn't write the scene any better, accidentally trips into the lap of Queen Esther King Xerxes goes ballistic and says, you're gonna be executed right now. And matter of fact, you are gonna be executed on the pole that you put up in Mordecai in your own yard. And that's exactly what happened. But meanwhile, Mordecai was put into uh, 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 the place of, uh, uh, of great prominence. His, his uh, word was equal, the Bible says, to King Xerxes after that. But the law still stood that all the Jews were gonna be destroyed. And there's nothing that the king could do to overrule his law. Not even the king himself could overrule his law. So there was still this problem, what shall we do? And so the king said, 
You tell me what to do and I'm going to do it. I'm going to put my name behind it. So Mordecai says we should pass another ruling, another law that on the same day that the Jews are to be killed, the Jews are allowed to stand up and defend themselves. And whatever was, uh, whatever the, what would happen to the Jews, the Jews can now do to anybody that would destroy them. The day that the law came into an enact, 75,000 people died, but not Jews, those that rose up to defeat the Jews. Mordecai was put in a place of prominence. God blessed and honored the Jews there, and it, threw, it kick-started the Feast of Purim, which is a feast of lots, and it was, uh, it, it's to be celebrated by giving gifts and, and by celebrating the fact that God can take any circumstance or any situation and turn it around for the good of his people. Now, whew, that's like the cliff notes of the whole book. Uh, I can't believe I did that. Wow, that's pretty good. I had my doubts. <laughs> There's these moments in life that we have. These moments that we go through all the time that that we just sit there and you're waiting and you're anticipating God doing something and you can't see him or feel him, but he's there. And I want you to leave today knowing that God is not only in your place, he's not only in your time, but he's in the details of the matter. First of all, I wanna explain that God is in the place. He's in your place. There's this, there's this idea that, that, uh, uh, that, even though we've been told that God is with us always, it's so hard to feel that way. You see, the story of Esther starts off more than 100 years before whenever the Babylonians took the Israelites into captive. They went into cap captivity, and that's when this the story of captivity began. And, and uh, then, uh, as we learned last week, Persia took over Babylon. We find all this stuff happening in Scripture, but in the midst of that, the temple that had been destroyed was, was uh, rebuilt. And Esther must have knew, known that. She was so far away from the temple and the place of worship for God, she must have felt so far removed from his presence. I wonder if there's anybody here that, that knows where the presence of God is and knows what it feels like to be in his presence, but to be, feel so far from, removed from that place. You, you remember what it was like to love God, to serve God, to be in his presence, to feel that kind of peace and that kind of joy. But for some reason, we feel so far removed in that moment. No matter how far away you are, you're right there in his presence. Psalm chapter 34, verse 18 says, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. The righteous person faces many troubles, but the Lord comes to rescue each time. You see, God is near to you. And it doesn't matter how far away that you feel. You see, your feelings don't matter about, your, your feelings don't care about the facts and the facts don't care about the feelings. God is there with you. And it doesn't matter if you can feel him or not. He's right there. I think the question though that we need to consider is this, is that even when we look around and we can't feel him, is God ready to... To, to care for you, to provide for you, to love you, and to protect you. Well, the other day, my two-year-old son woke up from his afternoon nap, 
And it's kind of 50-50 whenever he wakes up. You know, you don't ever know what you're going to get. Are you going to get a really cuddly, loving boy? Or are you going to get like somebody that's just going to come and ruin the rest of everybody's day? <laughs> and some people know that and say amen to that. On this particular day, he came out and he had a frown on his face. I knew right whenever I saw him that we're, we're going to have a tough time. He came out and he walked into the living room and I'm sitting in the living room. And I said, hi, baby. And he didn't see me. He didn't hear me. He had one eye closed. And he was just looking around with a scowl. And he immediately jumped to the conclusion that he had been left alone. He immediately fell on the floor and started bawling because he was scared and he was angry and he felt lost. And he felt betrayed. There's nothing I did wrong. I was right there. He couldn't see me. He missed me. He didn't hear me whenever I called to him. He wasn't really looking for me. He jumped to a conclusion thinking that he was all by himself in that situation. And it tore him up inside. I walked over to him. I picked him up. But by that time, he had already formulated a, his opinion that the rest of the afternoon was going to be tough. <laughs> but I think as Christians, we kind of get like that. We walk into a situation and circumstance with an expectation that things are going to be tough. Things are going to look bad. We look around. We can't see him. We can't feel him. We can't hear him. Like Esther and Mordecai, they walked into this situation and they didn't see God. They didn't hear God. They didn't feel God. They felt all alone. But instead of the expectation of thinking that things are going to be tough and that things are horrible, they decided that they're going to trust God in the place that they were in knowing that he would never leave them or forsake them. As a matter of fact, Matthew chapter 28, verse 20, tells us the last promise that Jesus gave to us before he was ascended. He said, and, and be sure of this, I am with you always, even until the end of the age. If you're here this morning and you feel like you're all alone in the place that you're at, you, you've moved away from family or friends or something has separated you in your relationship and you feel so far away from them and so far away from God. I want you to know that there is no distance that you can run. There's no mountain that you can climb. There's no valley that you can sink into. There's no depth of sin that you can sink into to keep you away from the love that God has for you today. He will be with you always even until the end of the age. Now, I did a little Greek study on what that word always means. Turns out it means? Exactly. You guys are Greek scholars. See, he's near to you. But he's an on-time God too. See, God is not just in the place, but he's also in the time. As we look at the story, we see that people that are not of faith would look and see all the coincidences and they would see and they, and they would call it luck or, or, or some people would say the universe was smiling on them, whatever that means. But I want you to know that as people of faith, we see that and realize that God is a faithful God, that he aligns his will and his plan exactly how it should be. As a matter of fact, Isaiah chapter 46 verse 10 tells us only I, meaning God, can tell the future before it happens. Everything I plan will come to pass for I do whatever I wish. Wow. I do what I want is what God says. 
See, some translations tell us that God went to the end and wrote the end and then came back to the beginning and wrote the beginning to match the end. He knows everything that's going to happen in between. He has ordained it. He He has manifested. His will will be accomplished. But then there's us that we look at our circumstances and our situations and we realize and we think to ourselves, oh man, this is the way it's going to be. This is how it's going to happen. Oh me, oh my. And we misplace our faith and trust and hope in Christ. But really he's the... He's the one that knows the future. He has the future in his hands. As a matter of fact, the prophet Jeremiah chapter, in chapter 29, verse 11 tells us, for I know the plans I have for you, right? They are plans for good and not for disaster to give you a future and a hope. That's exactly right. See, Jeremiah spoke this with the spirit of God empowering him. In the midst of their captivity, God speaks to his people and says, I've got plans for you. You don't know what they are, but let me tell you that they're plans for your good and not evil. Plans to help you and not harm you. What's crazy is, is that this is spoken and they still had 70 years of captivity left. Now I wonder sometimes, how we feel when God speaks over us and tells us that everything's going to be okay. And then whenever we wake up the next morning or we snap our fingers and everything is still exactly the same, do we feel like we're losing hope in God's timing? Yeah, sometimes. Sometimes. You see, but in these moments of his timing, God is still working his plan. Even though you don't see God or hear God through this passage of scripture, I want you to know that God is still uh, manufacturing his will to take place in their lives. And we can see it all throughout this passage. Number one, God created Esther to be a beautiful lady. God created an incredible opening to be a position uh, in the position of a Jewish queen. God gave Esther favor with the king. God positioned Mordecai to discover the plot to assassinate the king. God caused Mordecai to be a second in command. God caused the king's heart to be soft to Esther. God unraveled Haman's plot through Esther's position. God caused Haman to stumble into Esther leading to execution. I think that's the best part. Uh, God placed it into the king's heart to allow Mordecai to write a new law and God gave the power and the position of the Jews in Persia. Every step of the way, and even more, we see God intervening and working on his people's behalf. The problem is, is that sometimes we can't see God's plan all at the same time. And so it feels like we're hunting and and searching around in the dark in our lives. But when you take a step back and you see the scope of God's plan, he's there, he's present, he's moving, and he's working in your hearts and your lives. There's an old gospel song, he's an on-time God. Anybody know? He's an on-time God, yes he is. He may not come when you want him, but he'll be there right on time. I wonder how true that is in our lives today. That we search for God, we pray, we ask God, we call out to God, and he's still not there. You see, that's a common experience for us, but but there's a decision to be made. How are you going to respond whenever God doesn't come 
when you've called him? Are you going to trust him? Are you going to trust your, your life and your heart to him? Or are you going to allow him to, to work his plan and still try? Or are you going to move away from him? Are you going to turn your back on him? Are you going to take control back in your life? And you're going to try to work things out on your own. You see, in those moments, Esther and Mordecai determined that they're going to pray and fast. What's going on in your life at this time? God is calling you to pray and fast. God is calling you to trust him with his time. I promise you, he may not come when you want him, but he will show up right on time. Somebody say amen if you believe that. And finally, God is in the details. Now, many of you have heard this, uh, this phrase before, the devil's in the details. Yeah, it just kind of depends on how you look at it. You see, is it a glass half full or a glass half empty? Is God in the details or is the devil in the details? See, the, this phrase, the devil in the details, uh, assumes that there's some kind of maybe contract in front of you and, and, and uh, it looks good on the outside, but some, some detail on the inside is different. It's wrong. It's, it's, it's going to be problematic. And, and my wife would tell you that I'm more of the devil in the details kind of guy, because if there is anything going on, even the best day of my life, I can tell you what the problem is. I can, I can hunt the problem. I can hunt the situation. I wonder, there's sometimes in our lives where we're looking for the problem instead of looking for God. See, when we begin to look for God in the details, we'll begin to find him. But when we look for the devil in the details, we'll begin to find the devil in the details too. I wonder if, if you ever feel like this. I, I wonder if you ever get into the position where, where God wants to, to bless your life, but you don't ever sense that blessing. You don't ever have that blessing. You see... God could snap his fingers or speak a word and, and cause the situations and your circumstances to change. But more often than not, and I mean, by the way, when I say that, almost every time, God chooses to work through his people and partner with his people for their success. Now, this is key and critical in the story of Esther because as they come into this situation, if they were the people that looked for all the negative, all the bad, all the time, then they would have, at, the at that time, they would have just stopped and mourned for themselves and maybe tried to escape Persia. But instead, they still trusted in God to handle the details. They still partnered with God and de determined that they're going to work and do everything that they could in order to partner with him to see God do a miracle in their life. When we partner with God, even though it looks different in every situation, in every circumstance, there, it comes really down to one critical component. It comes down to trust. Somebody say trust. You see, Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 and 6 tells us to trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. 
You know, when we get into family problems and circumstances and situations that are unfolding in front of us, and we're dealing with uh, headaches, and we're dealing with uh, crisis, and we're dealing with all these things, everything that we look around and we see that we feel like God is not there, that God's time is messed up because it's happening right now, we don't see it. But that key element of trust comes up in the details. And I think that as people of God, we have to really pay attention to the details of this passage in order to really understand where we're supposed to go and what we're supposed to do. The first part is trust in the what? And the Lord. I want to ask you a question. Who are you trusting right now? Who do you trust? You trust your family, your friends, you trust your employer, trust all these, all these people and these groups in your life. But are you trusting God? Are you really trusting in his plan for your life? Are you really trusting him? Or are you trusting yourself to try to work it out? Are you trusting in how smart you are, how tough you are? See, the Bible is very clear. Trust in the Lord. When we trust in him, we can have confidence again. Who are you trusting? But the next part of it is with all your heart, with all your heart. Most every Christian would say that they're trusting in the Lord, but this is the part that trips everybody up all the time. Is that you trust the Lord a little bit until things don't work out the way that you want them to. You trust the Lord a little bit with your life, but, but then whenever things start not working, it's like you want to take back control and try to save your situation. But with all your heart means something very different. It means that you trust him whenever you don't feel like it. You trust him whenever you're scared or when you're angry or when you're lonely. You trust him to do the right thing, even though the situation looks like it's falling apart all over you. You still trust him with all of your heart. Esther had that kind of trust. She said, if I must die, I must die. With all of your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. You see, there's a, there's a difference between trusting and depending. You see, whenever you trust, so, uh, trusting is, is the thought, but depending is the action. When you trust that your dad is going to catch you whenever he jumps, or whenever you jump off the edge, you can stand there confidently knowing that he's there. But when you jump, that's when you depend. That's when you depend. What are you do doing to depend on God right now? How are you depending on him for the answer in your situation, your circumstance? How are you, what are you doing to, to depend on him and the Holy Spirit? When we're going through these problems, especially with other people, you just want to reach inside of them and, and, and flip the switch so they could finally understand your heart or see your situation and, and work things out. But what are you doing to depend on Him? Are you letting the Holy Spirit work in their lives? Are you allowing the Holy Spirit to work in your life? Seek his will in all you do. You know, hide and seek is one of the 
the games that we play as a, as a kid. And sometimes, uh, sometimes it goes pretty quick, hard to hide. But sometimes you just, you just can't find them. But this is not a game to God. He doesn't go about hiding from you. He's there. The Bible says, if you seek me, you'll find me. If you seek me with your whole heart. Are you really seeking God? Are you looking for him in your situation? See, finally we get to the fact, and he will show you which path to take. When things get tough and you don't know what to do, if you're searching for him, with all of your heart, you're depending on him and you're trusting him. It says, it doesn't say that he might show you the path to take. He probably will, or he most of the time will. It says he will show you the path to take. Now there's people in this size of room right now that that are probably going through some pretty difficult situations and circumstances. Dealing with family problems, you're dealing with work issues. You've been praying and you've been asking God, crying out to him to try to fix things. It doesn't feel like he's there in the moment. Dealing with, I don't know, just junk. And day after day you wake up and the situation hasn't changed. You still feel in the middle of the fight of your life. But I want you to know that if it's true for Esther and Mordecai, that God is in the details, that he's in their place, he's in their time, and it's true for you today. That I, it's my hope and my prayer that maybe you haven't felt like you're in the middle of what God has for you. Maybe you feel like you're far away from him today. But it's my hope and my prayer that as you're here this morning, you feel right at home, right in the middle of his peace, right in the middle of his comfort in his hand. Would you stand with me all over this place? He's in the place, he's in the time, and he's in the details. Ladies and gentlemen, no matter what you're going through today, no matter the family feud, no matter the work feud, no matter the, the inner feud, God is there. He hears you. He's never left you. He'll never forsake you. He loves you and he'll provide for you. But it's on us. It's on us that we simply trust in the Lord with all of our heart. It's on us to, to not lean on our own understanding. It's on us for in all of our ways to acknowledge him. Then he will direct our path. He'll direct your path too. And he'll cause it to work out for your benefit and, to, and for your good. If you just trust him, don't give up. 
Don't give in. Don't fall apart. Be strong and take courage. Don't fear. Don't be dismayed because he's with you. He won't leave you. Let me pray for you this morning. Lord, in these moments, Lord, our heart is open to you. Lord, sometimes life feels like it's falling apart. But Lord, it's not falling apart, it's coming together. We trust you with your plan and your, and your provision for our lives. Father, I pray a peace that passes all understanding. I pray a trust, Lord, that brings us confidence in your hand in our lives. And I pray, God, that we would have the hope to move us and carry us forward. With your head still bowed and your eyes still closed, Perhaps you're here this morning and you don't know the God that we're talking about. You don't have peace in your problems because you've never made peace with God. Today's your day. This is your opportunity. If you say, Pastor John, I'm here right now and I want to make peace with God. I want God to forgive my sin and come into my life and make me right so I can be his child. If that's you, I simply wanna, wanna acknowledge you today by raising your hand. If that's you, you're saying, that's me, Pastor John. I'm looking around. I wanna commit my heart and my life to Jesus for the first time or recommit it. Thank you, yes. Thank you, yes, I see you. Thank you, I see you, yeah. looking all around. Thank you, sir. There's four. Oh, God. You see the hands of these poor people, Lord, that have been raised. Lord, I pray, God, that you partner with them, Lord, that you'd go with them as they partner with you. Lord, forgive them for all of their sins. Cleanse them for all of their unrighteousness, Lord. Empower them by your spirit to walk closely with you and to know, God, you not just as a Lord, but as a, as a father. Lord, I pray that you, through the power of your Holy Spirit that you would transform their life. Be the Lord and the master of their life. And Lord, I pray that they would walk in peace and in love with you for the rest of their lives. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise for these people. Awesome. Awesome. But there's something else today. If you're here and you're going through a time of your life where you're struggling to trust God, you're dealing with problems, and you just need reassurance that God is in the details, that he's in your place and your time. If that's you, I want you to slip up your hand all over this place. If that's you, I want you to slip up your hand. I'm going to pray with you, but more importantly, we're going to pray with you. Would you grab the hand of your neighbor standing on your right and your left? Kind of hard for me to see with the lights, and so I just want you to... If, if you raise your hand, I want you to squeeze the hand of the person standing on your right and your left. Let them know that you need to pray for me in my situation right now. Heavenly Father, we love you and we praise you. We thank you, Lord, for what you're doing in our hearts and our lives right now. For Lord, whether we see you, hear you, feel you, 
Lord, we are confident, Lord, that you're here with us. Lord, that you're in our midst. Lord, that you're in our place, that you're on time, and that you are in the details of our situation. Lord, we trust you, Lord. No matter what things look like, we trust that you're going to make your will and your way known. Lord, so I pray for each one here today, Lord, that they would have the faith and the courage, Lord, to continue to walk, to continue to trust, to continue to live by your word and by faith. Lord, that they would know you in a powerful way in their lives, Lord, as they watch you unfold your will. Lord, I pray the victory in Jesus' name in their circumstance and situation. I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would cause them, Lord, to come out on the other side, bigger, better, and stronger. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that everything that you promised, Lord, would come true in our lives, that you would run us down with blessing. Lord, that you would overflow our cup with blessing. We love you and we praise you and we depend on you. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Let's go and be blessed this morning.